You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. And we will begin this morning's reading in verse 39. Now, as you're going there, let, let me introduce this season once again. Today is the official beginning of the Advent season, and it is a season marked by watching and by waiting. We are remembering the first coming of Jesus Christ, and we are also anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. And the question is, what do we do in preparation? How do we faithfully lean in to watching and waiting this Advent season? And the answer is quite simple. We sing. How do we prepare? We sing. And I want to encourage you this morning, do not underestimate the significance of the church's singing, especially in a chaotic season like this. This year's focus will be on four distinct songs that we see in the opening narrative of Luke's gospel. We're going to look at Mary's song, and then Zechariah's song, and then the angel's song, and then finally Simeon's song, beginning with Mary's song. So again, Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 39 for context, and then it will lead into Mary's famous song. Verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went in haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Song. Song is the language of the human soul. And like someone who is bilingual, when they are emotionally stirred, whether it's anger or excitement or passion or being in love or whatever the case may be, they will naturally express themselves in their first language. And so it is with singing for the Christian. Song is the language of the Christian's heart. It's the heart language. And sometimes there's just news that is simply too good to say. It has to be sung. And that's why when it comes to the greatest news ever told, the, the, the arrival and return of Jesus Christ, you will almost always find it 
accompanied with music. You're going, wherever you go this year, you are going to hear music, hymns and carols and choirs and spirituals and orchestral arrangements and that, you know, infamous Mariah Carey Christmas soundtrack and on and on and on. It's not just said, it's sung. And when Mary is confronted with this life-changing, you know, like world-altering news of who she's carrying in her womb, naturally, she sings. She can't help but magnify the worth of this Jesus Christ. And she sings a song that's been celebrated for thousands of years. It's known as the Magnificat. And today, her song rings just as true as ever. Now, over the years, we've had quite a few of individuals that have had a lot to say about what the church should be and what the church shouldn't be, and they want to be taken very serious uh, you know, about their input. But one thing that I look for in, in these sort of people is whether or not someone fully engages in worship and sings from the depths of their soul, where, where Mary sings from. And unfortunately, what I have found is that often those who have the most to say sadly have little to sing. Those who have a lot of opinions about what things should be and shouldn't be tend to lack in the area of singing. And if I could be completely honest with you, I do not trust the theology or the spiritual input of an individual that is not moved in the depths of their souls by the God that confess with their mouths. And I think biblically speaking, the litmus test of whether or not someone has been transformed in the all-consuming presence of the living God is that they rejoice from the depths of their innermost parts. And so for that reason, I personally, I listen to worshipers, and I think you should too. I listen to people that I am confident have come in contact and experienced you know, God and have been left changed forever by him. And that's why when Mary says, behold, when she says, look, listen to what I'm about to tell you, I'm listening to Mary. Despite her age, you know, despite her social status, despite the stigma around her life being a pregnant, unwed teenage mother who is now fleeing from her home because of the backlash of this miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to urge you to listen to her voice as well. Now, a little side note before we get into it. She has not asked us to worship her. Mary has not asked us to pray to her. Mary has not asked us to hail her. Mary has asked us to behold. And that's what we want to do today. As we behold her song, I want us to be listening for three like key themes that we see in this, this song. A humble estate, a historic shift, and a holy disruption. Let's look first at a humble estate, starting again in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now, Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher from history, told a parable of a rich man and a peasant. And the one man was a prominent figure. He had cultural significance. He was a very powerful figure. And there was another person that was a nobody uh, who lived a very forgettable life. And as the rich man entered into a warm, cozy, lighted carriage, 
The peasant sat out in the dark, cold night driving that same carriage. And in a moment, their worlds became significantly different. The peasant looked up to see you know, the beauty of the starry sky as far as the eye could see. However, the man in the carriage looked out, but all he could see was vague darkness. And the interesting thing about this parable is that both men, there were, their eyes were open, they were looking at the very same sky, but one man's eyes were obscured by the light contamination of the warm, cozy carriage, and the other man's eyes were not. And I don't want to bore you, but this, what the story illustrates is what social scientists call the standpoint theory. And the standpoint theory is simply the perspective that how we view the world, how we see the world, is going to be determined by where we find ourselves within society, our social position. And many, many, many people have argued that the people that find themselves in lower positions, or as, as Mary says, humble estates, the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized, the disinherited, they will see the world around them with a distinct clarity in a way that the powerful and the privileged simply cannot. And, and we see that highlighted in the Gospels, especially in the birth narrative of Jesus, the glorious visions and all these amazing announcements of Jesus and all that he is comes to the people that you would least likely expect. For instance, Herod the king and all the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they didn't see the star over Bethlehem. Who sees the star over Bethlehem? It's men from the east. It's desert-dwelling, non-Jewish foreigners that saw it and responded. Or how about this? Who received the vision of angels singing Gloria and Excelsius Deo? It wasn't the rich. It wasn't the powerful. It wasn't even the religious. It was the shepherds, social rejects that lived on the border towns. Or who immediately knew when they were in the presence of the Savior of the world and literally leaped for joy at the greeting? Well, we just read it. It was a fetus. Not even a fully formed human being. Someone so young that many today would consider them not even significant enough to live. And here's well, with young Mary in her humble estate, what she's doing is she's recognizing a principle that runs all throughout Scripture, and it's this, that God is near to the lowly. God opposes the proud. He opposes the arrogant. He opposes the smug, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble will see him, and he will regard the humble. Humility is key. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his short uh, Advent devotional, says this, Only the humble believe him, and rejoice that God is so free and so marvelous that he does wonders where people despair. That he takes what is little and lowly and makes it marvelous. And that is the wonder of all wonders, that God loves the lowly. God's not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, he, the neglected, the, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. In other words, the humble. Now secondly, we see a second key theme here in Mary's song, and that's a historic shift, a historic shift. Now, C.S. Lewis 
uh, writing about the incarnation. He called the incarnation, or simply Jesus taking on flesh and stepping into human history, he called this the, the grand miracle, the miracle of miracles. And he says this, the central miracle of Christianity is the incarnation. Every other miracle prepares for this, exhibits this, or results from this. It was the central event in the history of the earth, the very thing that the whole story has been about. All, in other words, all of human history and eternity hinges on this. And so the question I have as I'm reading through this, I'm seeing Mary's response and Elizabeth's response to Mary is this. Does Mary, at this very moment, understand all that Jesus is and all that Jesus is going to do on behalf of humanity? In other words, does she understand that this is the promised Messiah that's going to usher in the, the kingdom of God and liberate the, the enslaved, that he will one day conquer sin and death through his death and powerful resurrection or or like the old Christmas song goes, like, Mary, did you know that this baby will deliver, will one day deliver you? Does Mary understand all that's going on? It's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. She, she grasps the whole scope of what's going on. Do any of us? I don't think Mary grasps all that Jesus is and all that Jesus will be, but she makes this statement that shows that she believes somehow that this child that is in her womb is going to change everything. Look at me again in verse 48. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now think about that phrase, from now on. And so what she's stating here is that she sees human history as being divided now into two categories. There's the past, and there's everything beyond this very moment. There's a human history that is broken by sin and evil and devastation that just keeps repeating the same broken patterns. And now, through the fruit of her womb, a future that is filled with the hope of blessing, of holiness, and mercy. For all generations to come. And whether we recognize it or not, in the short little statement from now on, this is the center of human history. It's where we get the basis for how we today divide human history in time. The Gregorian calendar, BC, before Christ, AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. This is the dividing moment of human history unfolding before us on the pages of Scripture. And what God has revealed to Mary is that all the anxious waiting for a savior, all of the growing tension in a world just longing to be healed, it's all been leading up to this. And, and it's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians 4 when he says, but when the fullness of time would, had come, when the, when the moment was just right, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we, so that we might receive adoption as sons. All of heaven and earth had been literally holding its breath for this moment, the fulfillment of a promise that went all the way back to the days of Abraham and the forefathers of Israel. And, the, and now what Mary identifies in this moment is from now on, Everything changes. 
And, and this means something. Not, this isn't just meaning something for, for Mary. This means something for us today. God's mercy extends from generation to generation to generation to those who fear him. The arrival of Jesus Christ has sent an irreversible tide of grace through human history that is just as powerful and life-changing today as when Jesus first walked the earth. And, and today, we get to join with Mary in saying, He has done great things for me. He did great things for Mary. He has done great things for the men and women before us. And we can say with confidence through Jesus Christ, He has done great things for me. And what that means for us, is that the change that, that we need most today doesn't come with a certain person in the Oval Office or a, some new person in the Supreme Court. It doesn't come with that long-anticipated vaccine. It doesn't rest on a, a, an economy that's stabilizing. It doesn't come with a new job or a new opportunity or a new romantic relationship or a new child or a new shiny toy at Christmas. The change that you need and I need the change that we long for most has come to us through the arrival of Jesus Christ. And it will be brought to completion when he returns. And this is the hope of Advent. This is the hope that God is making all things new in our lives and in our world. But as we see here from Mary's song, God's process of renewal first involves a process of upheaval. This is a very tumultuous passage, and it, it makes you uncomfortable if you're actually really paying attention. Now, we, we tend to look at upheaval and the unsettledness of this world and think, oh my gosh, God has abandoned us. Things are going crazy. Things are being turned upside down. God must have left this thing a long time ago. Clearly, things are just going to be chaotic forever. Far from it. Far from it. God disrupts the world that he loves. And as we see here, upheaval actually serves as the proof that God is at work, that God's mighty hand has reached into human history and he's shaking things up. He's changing things in order to renew them. And so that leads us into our final theme that we see in this passage, a holy disruption, a holy disruption. Mary's song indicates that through the arrival of Jesus Christ, the way of the world was going to be turned upside down forever. And I love this. Mary, as she sings these sort of subversive lyrics, she is joining a long lineage of revolutionary songs that were sung by blessed women of the Bible. Take, for instance, Hannah in the Old Testament. She sings of the Lord giving and taking away life. He brings some down. He exalts and raises up others. And Mary joins that, that lineage of songs. Now, the general belief uh, throughout time has been that the highly educated are the ones that know best, that the people in positions of power are the ones that are in charge, and people of wealth and status are the truly blessed ones. If you have nice things and you've got a nice status and you're well-respected by the world, well, then you are the blessed ones. And in a lot of ways, the systems of this world are set up to just kind of reinforce and perpetuate this idea throughout generations. And yet, think about the irony here. Here is Mary, an unwed, pregnant, teenage girl, a nobody, and now a reject 
at the very bottom of the social ladder, singing of power, of might, of blessing, making these extremely unbelievable statements. Look at me again in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary is disrupting the system. Mary is speaking against the status quo of this world with some serious force and authority. Now there's the way of the world and the way of the kingdom of God. The way of the world and the way of the kingdom of God. According to the way of the world, there are the proud, the rich, and the mighty up here. They're on top. And then there's the humble and the hungry and the helpless. They're down here. And this is how things work. And this is how things should remain. But the kingdom of God coming into this world actually flips this on its head. And we're told the very opposite here. The proud are scattered. The mighty are brought down. The rich sent away empty. And the humble are exalted. The hungry are filled. The helpless are served or the servant is helped in other words the way of the world is being broken open and mary is rejoicing in the fact that god is about to break everything open i want to pause right here at this moment and ask you this question is this what you think of when you think of christmas is this what comes Flooding into your hearts and minds when you begin to see the Christmas lights and the trees and all of the the fun music. Probably not. But it should be. Because here it is. In the testimony of the nativity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he goes on to say this. We become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. The coming of God is truly not only glad tidings, but first of all, frightening news. God coming into this world is first of all, frightening news. Because Advent is essentially God saying, I am coming for you, and I'm about to turn your world upside down. And that is either good news or bad news, it all depends. The mighty, the mighty and the filled say, well, I have too much to lose and very little to gain from this. Keep your distance with that revolutionary talk. And what they tend to do is to resist and to reject this holy disruption. See, Christmas is threatening to those who feel they have too much to lose in the sight of this this Jesus. Take, for instance, King Herod again. King Herod had way too much to lose. And Matthew's gospel tells us that he unleashed genocide in order to eliminate the threat of this child. Way too much to lose. The helpless, however, the helpless say, I have little to lose and everything to gain Come and turn my world upside down. Come and flip this on its head. The humble and the helpless receive it. Now, being poor or rich, mighty or weak, 
These don't make us any more or less worthy of God's love. Don't hear me wrong. But, as the Bible warns us, it will impact. These things will impact our willingness to receive his life-changing grace. Whether or not we receive or we resist God turning our world upside down. And so what I want us to do is I want us to consider Jesus. And here's why. Jesus is himself the one who didn't resist this holy disruption. In fact, Jesus is the one that initiated it and willingly entered into it himself. Listen to the words of Sam Storms describing Jesus being disrupted and stepping into this process of disruption. The word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The loved became the hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity, from inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief, from a throne to a cross, from ruler to being ruled, from power to weakness, all for you and for me. I want to conclude with this. How do we respond? Well, the work of this holy disruption must first occur within us. Our initial response is not to go out and to attempt to now dismantle all the systems of this world. It is first to invite God to dismantle the sin and the unrest that is within our own hearts. How do we respond? We invite God to turn our hearts upside down. To, to let him disrupt our lives. Remember, upheaval comes before renewal. We want God to renew us. We, go, we want God to transform our lives. But when God steps in with his mighty hand, he turns things upside down. How does Mary sing from her depths? How does Mary magnify the Lord at the top of her lungs despite all of the pain and all the stigma and all the rejection that she's experiencing at this point in her life. And the question for us is how do we sing from the depths as well in a year like 2020? I believe she sings from her depths because she has willingly opened herself up to God's work within. She sings from the place she's been impacted most, and that's the heart. And so I want to invite you to, to ask God to unleash his mercy and his might within, to, to begin to forgive sin, to heal wounds, to, to break harmful patterns, and to renew you from the inside out. Secondly, I want to, I want to urge you to hold your, your wealth and your power and your status, whatever that may be, however much wealth, power, and status God has given you. I want you to hold it open-handed before God. Because here's the truth. He gives and he takes away. He gives and he takes away. And entitlement, clinging to the things that we have as if we have earned it and we deserve it, this is a sure way to experience devastation 
when the tide goes out and we part ways with our stuff. We have to hold it open-handed before God with both gratitude and generosity, grateful for all that God has given us. If we have anything in our lives that is good, it is because God has graced us with that goodness. And we have to be willing to now give it away. We are not blessed to simply be blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. And whatever you have isn't ultimately intended for you. It's been given to you in order to join with Jesus in the renewal of all things. And then thirdly and finally, I want to call you to sing with hope. I've said this before and I mean it. Now maybe more than ever, singing is the serious business of the church. And when we sing, we are stirring the hope of Christ within our hearts and the hearts of our hearers. And as we enter into the Advent season, we, like Mary, sing not just of what God has done, but what God is, is, is fulfilling and God will bring about what is yet to come when Christ returns. Remember, in, in Jesus' first coming, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he dealt with the guilt of our sin and he overcame the enmity between God and man bringing forgiveness and, and new life to those who believe. But when Jesus returns, he will appear in might, in power, in glory, and he will right every wrong. He will scatter all pride. He will tear down once and for all every oppressive power and finally renew all things. We look around right now, we look around this Christmas season and see things are not the way they should be. Things are simply broken. They are simply not the way that they should be. But Advent songs revive our hope. They stir our hope and remind us, as I want to remind you today, that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for...